A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. And a very good Tuesday morning to you. Not the best day weather-wise, that's uh, for sure. And uh, for some, it's the first day back at school, so getting a miserable old start to it, uh, for sure. We're welcoming you along to the programme. John Paul is taking your calls, 1850-333-103. Text or WhatsApp, uh, 0862-103-103. And what's a sure, sure indicator that it's the end of summer is when you're sitting down in, a, in an August evening I'm watching the Rose of Chile it, it, it almost tells you that the summer is over and the Halloween and the trick or treat and the masks will all be in the shops if they're not already in the shops already that's just around the corner so Rose of Chile night number one last night went off swimmingly well for Dahi O'Shea I was absolutely surprised to hear that it's Dahi O'Shea's 10th year doing it I would have said five years where have those 10 years gone he's definitely settled into it as an MC and it's it's a kind of it's one of those jobs that's almost made for him he seems really at ease and he always seems to put the roses really at ease and that's I suppose really is what it is uh, all about and we had a number of firsts last night when it comes to the Rose of Chile including one of the roses it was the Arizona Rose a young lady by the name of Kayla Gray getting a tattoo on the Rose of Chile and she got a tattoo to mark the 60th anniversary of the event I mean that definitely uh, is a uh, first and then certainly when we looked at the Roses doing their party piece and their little bit of entertainment there was a couple of firsts as well I mean the deadlifting, the weightlifting don't think I've ever seen that uh, before and then there was the usual guitar playing we even had somebody doing a poem we haven't had poetry in a while and even a little bit of dog training so it was the mix was there uh, it certainly was all there and our own Cork Rose well, she did as proud. That was uh, Stephanie McCarthy and she's one of the high achievers. And that's something I think in recent years with the Rose of Chile are all of the high achievers and these very, very intelligent, smart young women who decide to enter the Rose of Chile. And our own Stephanie McCormick is a neuroscientist. Uh, she really is uh, terrific and she still is studying and of course let's not forget her other great achievement she's a mum of two uh, as well and then last night of course there was already one winner last night and that was the official escort of the year and it was also his birthday it was uh, Jamie Flannery he celebrated his 26th birthday yesterday and he was also chosen as the Rose Escort of the Year and the Rose Escort of the Year is selected, it's a combination of votes from the Roses and from the Escorts themselves so it's a nice 
nice award to win because it means he's really liked by the people he's been hanging around with for the last uh, week. And of course, we'll claim him as one of his, one of our own, even though he is from Dingle. He is a teacher at the Gwale School in Carrigaline, and I'm sure everybody at the Gwale School in Carrigaline are very proud of Jamie Flannery. And of course, he spoke us Gwale as well on stage with uh, uh, Dahi. So that's night number one of the roses. Did anyone in particular stand out for you? Were you watching it? Did you enjoy the show? And of course, waiting in the wings will be round two tonight. There's 16 more roses we'll take to the stage again at eight o'clock. They'll break for the news. They'll be back on. And then I suppose 20 past half past 11 tonight, if not later, we'll get the official announcement of who is the Rose of Tralee for 2019. Your thoughts on last night's uh, show, 1850-333-103. Now, before we take a look at what's coming up on the programme today, I just want to mention a couple that have sadly passed away and they're making the front page of the Echo uh, today. And it's a husband and wife who passed away from cancer within minutes of each other and it was after 32 years of marriage it was Tom and Mary Forbes and their family are saying that you know they it was meant to be they died 40 minutes apart following what everybody says was a lifetime of happiness together and they were buried yesterday in Drimmer League uh, special arrangements have been made for Mary who's from Drimmer League to be transferred from Cork University Hospital to Bantry General Hospital so she could be close to her beloved husband uh, Tom. The pair were married 32 years ago and were much loved in the West Cork community. Uh, Mary who was in her 60s had suffered cancer seemingly in 2016 but then she recovered from that and she had a spell of good health but then unfortunately the cancer returned and then at Christmas of last year Tom received a heartbreaking uh, diagnosis and as I say they died this week just 40 minutes uh, apart and you have to think of their family they have twins they had twins uh, Niall and Paul and to lose one parent is is devastating uh, but to lose two on the same day my God my heart goes out to Niall and to Paul and then there's grandchildren as well Elizabeth and Christina and the rest of the extended family and many many friends as well really heartbreaking I mean together in life and now together in death i I've interviewed Tommy Fleming many times on this programme, but I've interviewed Tommy about his parents, Tommy Fleming, the singer, because his mum and dad died on the same day. Now, it wasn't 40 minutes. One was at the one end of the day and one was at the other end of the day because they were doing the arrangements. I think his mother passed away first and they were making the arrangements for his mother's funeral and the dad wasn't well. He was in a nursing home. And Tom, Tommy Fleming himself had actually said to one of his siblings, I don't think dad is going to last long. And dad didn't last long. He, he died later on that day. And I know after, I mean, an initial shock to lose both your parents on on the one day, but Tommy said that they took comfort later on and that they were both, they were buried side by side inside in the funeral mass was in the church where they'd been married and he said they took sort of some comfort from that and then they were buried together and hopefully for the Forbes it'll be the same Uh, you know they will take comfort from the fact that they were together in life and now they are together in uh, death and they were buried following a service yesterday in St Matthew's Church in uh, Drimmer League and the family actually have requested donations to St Joseph's Ward at uh, Bantry General Hospital who obviously gave such fantastic care to Tom and to Mary Forbes. So may they both rest in peace. It's just 
one of those sad, sad uh, stories. And we don't often do stories like that on the programme, but it just, it was one of those ones that just caught my, pulled at the heartstrings uh, today and just to let the family know that we are thinking of them uh, today. 1850 coming up on the programme this morning. We're going to be discussing the problems that some families are having trying to access fair deal funding. And of course, the problem we have here is these are families who have a loved one who is currently in a hospital in an acute bed. Hospital can do no more for the patient, but the patient isn't good enough to go home. They need to go in either to for respite facility, it might just be step down, or they may need to move permanently into a nursing home. And the families then are trying to access a local nursing home. So no point a, a nursing home being available and it's 200 miles away. So it's a local nursing home they're, they're trying to get. And in many cases, they may actually have the bed. They may actually have a nursing home that will say, yeah, I've, I've got a bed. I know Nursing Home Ireland uh, were out earlier this week saying that there are beds available from Cork to Donegal. So there, there certainly are beds there. But of course, you can't move into the bed until you've got the fair deal, until the funding is put in place and there's delays with the funding. Again, there's, this has come, this has happened before and it's happening again. And my, my worry is that we are at the end of August, we're going into the winter months when traditionally older people have a tendency to get sicker and there will be a bigger need for respite care and step-down facilities and a bigger need for long-term nursing home care in the winter months. And if we already have a waiting period at the end of the summer, God help us, what is it going to be like in the winter months? And tied in with it are home help hours. That's an ongoing saga, people looking for home help hours. And according to Micheál Martin, the leader of Fianna Fáil, and I don't know what part of the country this happened in, but in some areas when people are ringing up looking for home help hours, it's been decreed that they need these home help hours. And when they get onto the HSE, they're being told, we don't have any home help hours available. You're now going to have to wait until somebody dies in your community. And if somebody dies in your community and they have home help hours, we'll then transfer the home help hours uh, to you. And that's an awful predicament for families to be put in, hoping that somebody down the road is going to die so that we can grab their half hour or hour of home help a day that really is not an ideal uh, situation so we will discuss that and, and I'm very interested to hear the more personal stories if there are any families listening who are either waiting on fair deal have you a loved one in an acute hospital bed waiting to go somewhere else and are you waiting are you one of the ones in this list waiting for fair deal or are you on a list waiting to try to secure home help or trying to get additional home help hours 1850 we'd love to to uh, hear from you. We're also going to chat with the Irish Pharmacy Union. They want chemists, your local chemist shop. They want though them to be expanded. They want to be allowed to expand their services. Now they're, the thinking behind this is that they would be able to deal with minor ailments and minor complaints. I mean at the moment and if anyone that goes into a pharmacy they're fantastic. They, get, they offer great advice and great for the sniffles and things like that but they, they're highly trained professionals, farm, pharmacists are and they reckon they could be doing a lot more because if you look to other countries other you can walk into a chemist in another country and they can 
they can give you certain medication and do certain treatments that in this country you'd have to go to your GP and if you look at our GPs and you look at the wait times to get an appointment with GPs I mean many GPs now it's very difficult if you get up in the morning and try and get an appointment on the same day Uh, and we also know the GPs are closing their practices to new patients because they're full they can't take anymore and there is there are some people in some areas around the country who have to rely on South Dock, they can't get a GP in their area. So if God help us, they get sick, the only thing they can do is go to the outer hours service. So they have to wait for the outer hours service because they can't get into any GP uh, practice. So anything that we can do to free up the number of patients that are going into GPs certainly needs to be looked at. And if the Irish Pharmacy Union have a plan, I think it really does need to be taken very, very seriously. Ancient market rights that would initially have been bestowed by various kings of England on this country are rearing their ugly head because they're causing problems because Cork County Council are trying to put bylaws in place. It's to do with casual trading. But casual traders now are citing these ancient market rights and it seems those rules and regulations are still in place. So I don't know, I mean, I'm I'm assuming we'd have to go, the government would have to get involved and legislation would have to be brought in to get rid of the old laws and then introduce new bylaws. Is that what would have to happen? So we're going to talk about that. And Spike Island, we'll be speaking with one of the managers out on Spike Island today because they're in line for yet another International Tourism Awards. They really are doing fantastic and I'm really interested uh, to hear what it means to Spike Island when they get these you know, awards or get nominated. I mean, in many cases, particularly on the international ones, just to get nominated, to get into the, the final 10 or to be down in the final shake-up in itself is a win for a tourist facility like Spike Island but I'm really interested to hear does it up the footfall does it you know does the follow on after the publicity do they get more and more people out to the island and we'll talk a little bit about Spike as well I'm always conscious when we do interviews like this that not everyone will have been out on Spike Island so we'll be able to do a little bit of a sell for you let you know what goes on out of the island and Joe Heffernan uh, will join us and we are continuing to discuss anxiety because we brought this we started this on the programme last week and actually I couldn't get over the amount of calls and texts we got from people who either were suffering from anxiety had suffered from anxiety or had a family member suffering from uh, anxiety and in particular parents contacting us about their young people who were suffering from either anxiety or depression and lo and behold making the news today and in all of the papers is a report that up to Two in five, two in five third level students are suffering severe levels of anxiety and many more feel depressed or stressed, according to this new survey. It's research on mental health among students and it paints a very worrying picture of the extent of the pressure and the struggles that young people are experiencing. It was the Union of Students of Ireland did it with the support of the HSE's Mental Health and National Office for Suicide Prevention. And the research explored the incident of mental health distress and ill health among students and then the availability and use of mental health support services for that population. And it highlights different factors that influence anxiety, depression and stress. It found women were more likely to suffer anxiety than men. 
but non-binary students had the highest levels of severe anxiety. Experience also varied depending on the type of college, whether it was inside or outside of Dublin and the student's area of uh, study. And I know we're running with it. Barry's running with it on our news service this morning. And I wasn't surprised to hear that one of the reasons that a lot of students get very anxious and very worried and very upset is worried to do with uh, finances. And that doesn't surprise me at all. So that's a a really nice tie-in with what we'll be talking about and getting great words of advice from uh, Joe Heffernan after half past 12 today. So that and more in the programme. Now in Rose of Tralee, that I mentioned that was on programme one last night, Kathleen in Mallow wasn't too impressed. She described it as only fair. She said, I didn't think it was as good as it was in previous years, but there's a but coming here. She was absolutely disgusted with Dahi O'Shea and what Dahi O'Shea did with the Dublin jersey. I am a Cork woman out and out, says Kathleen, but I thought what he did was dreadful. I'm not a Dublin supporter, but I'm not a Kerry supporter either. But if a Dublin person did what Dahi O'Shea, a Kerry man, did last night, it will be making all of the headlines today. It was disrespectful and it wasn't fun for me. And you're not the first to say that. I, Kathleen, I saw on Twitter last night a number of people making that same point that if that had been a Dublin person doing it to a Kerry jersey, It'll be all over the papers today and I had a quick flick through the papers today. I haven't seen many people giving out about it other than I've seen people reporting on it and for those who didn't uh, see it, it was the Dublin Rose young lady by the name of Laura Vines was on stage and she is, I said I was only half watching it, (laughs) half listening and half watching it. I think she trains dogs. I think that's what her job is or maybe it's just a hobby. But anyway, she had a little dog on stage, a little dog by the name of Penny and she was showing, I mean, she had this dog highly trained, I have to say, and she was showing different tricks that the dog uh, could do. It was, Penny was a rescue uh, dog and then as she was about to leave and she picked up Penny, Dahi then started making out that the dog had had an accident and had had a little bit of a wee on the stage and he said, don't worry about it, I'll clean it up. And she was saying, no, he didn't. There's no mess. You know, the dog didn't. It's fully house trained. You know, this is a highly trained dog who wasn't going to pee on the stage of the Rose of Tralee, for sure, for sure. Anyway, Di was adamant that the dog had made a mess and that he needed to clean it up and he shouted down to somebody in the audience to help him and you just saw something been thrown up. I just thought it was a towel or something. I thought maybe the dog had had a bit of an accident and then, of course... When we got to see what it was, it was a, a Dublin jersey. And then you had Dahi pretending to mop up Penny's mess and uh, hand back the Dublin jersey to the Rose Laura. She took it in good fun, I suppose. But what else was she to do? She was laughing on stage. But Kathleen in Mallow thought it was dreadful and very disrespectful and didn't see the funny side at all. Do you others agree with Kathleen or was it all just a bit of fun? Older people who are approved for the Fair Deal scheme are having to endure delays of anything up to three months to get placed in a nursing home. Expressing his concern at rising numbers of elderly people waiting on Fair Deal funding is Cork Northwest Doll Deputy Michael Moynihan who joins me this morning. Good morning to you, Michael. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, and you're welcome. A 16% increase in the Fair Deal waiting list from June to July nationally. What are the figures locally here in Cork like? Well, we have, uh, unfortunately, in the, the region, there is, uh, they're heading from, I think, to us, uh, the, the increase is gradually increasing since 
we'd say four to six weeks or four weeks it was back in April from the time you applied and you were approved to the time funding came through. So families were looking at when they had a loved one going into the nursing home that they would have to pay for the four week period out of their own resources which puts enormous pressure on families. And as the month of May came and And, June, and can I say Michael not every family has that. Has not, that not any family. Not Absolutely. There are some situations where there are borrowing money they have, you know, identified the best nursing home to, for the whole family set up. You know, it's a very difficult and stressful period for people when they look at their elderly relative and they, the medical um, teams are advising of the best care that's possible. So there's an awful lot of stress of, you know, emotional stress going into those decisions in the first instance. They apply for the fair deal. They go through all the rigours of, you know, valuations and all that kind of, uh, you know, I, I suppose bureaucracy and putting the forms together. Is the application process in itself a difficult one? Well, the application process is a difficult one. There's a lot of stuff that needs to be got. There's a lot of documentation that needs to be put in. And, you know, we help them in our office quite a lot when people okay. come through. And I know that, uh, you know, that other professions help as well to try and get the documentation in. But we do go through it with families. And we see, I suppose, at first hand, the emotional issues that are involved, first of all, in accepting that their loved one needs long-term care. And that's a big decision for any family. And then they apply for it. And they made it, you know, back in April, March and April, they were applying and they were saying that it was three to four weeks from the time right. that was approved. Now, that's the time that the all the documentation was submitted. This could have been six or eight weeks trying to get all the documentation in, uh, valuations, uh, pensions, all those details go in, go in and a decision is taken as to how much per week they would have to contribute or, if you know, 80% of the pension or if it's the only... And some people, the only income they have is their pension so that they just, you know, but it takes so many weeks to get that decision on its own. You get that decision and then they say it's three to four weeks from the time that decision is is uh, sanctioned to the time that funding comes through. So families then are looking at, you know, their loved one is in an acute hospital and we see all the pressures that are in the hospital. So for the best interest of the state, they uh, said that they're going to take them into a nursing home and that they give the, the, the bed in the acute hospitals are used for other patients which is so badly needed. And now what's happening is as the months went on, as May rolled into June, rolled into July and into August, it was going from four weeks to five weeks to six weeks. And we have patients and like we have contacted the highest people possible to try and get particular families to try and get them because they have been paying six or seven weeks out of their own resources. And, and, and is any of that money refunded once the fair deal no, comes? unfortunately, it is only from the day that the funding is approved um, that it, there is no money uh, refunded whatsoever from and families and like all families have you know in the first instances some families just don't have access to that kind of funding at all at all absolutely not that the you know the only income that's coming in is a pension and you know that might be other family members and then in the other instances family members have their own commitments you know mortgages you know child care school costs college, all of that. And uh, it can also paid. cause disputes in families because well, you'll have some who will who will willingly pay and you'll have others who don't want to pay. And that is tragic. You know, that is absolutely tragic because what you have is that you have an elderly person who they, are, they have 
cared for to the degree probably in their own homes and looked after them medically and then it comes to a point where they need full-time care and that is a difficult as i said at the outset of the interview it's a difficult decision to make and then when uh, you know there's a shortage of funding and the funding isn't coming through from the state and there is then you know a decision as who's going to pay and that will as you quite rightly cause friction and you know at the time of a par- an elderly person doesn't want that and it adds more tension to all the family situations and I think that it is you know the fair deal was designed to make sure that everybody got a fair deal at the end of their days all of these people would have worked very very hard in their communities within their families reared families worked in their communities paid taxes and all of this and we have now seen that what what uh, annoys me more than anything else is that we're not getting the true story that the, the in, in 16% increase in the waiting list you know it's gone right through the summer you know a week after week we have uh, a number of cases at the moment and where they were told last two weeks tomorrow to ring to see you know, has funding been approved from Dublin and then but they have now been told again this week that it will be possibly another two weeks we have people that have been constantly on the phone since the 1st of August to the FRD of people to try and see can they when will their funding be approved what approved what seems to be happening is that Dublin the HSE centrally is approving funding on a Monday it's sent in to the regional offices on Tuesday and then that the, the families or the patients know whether funding is coming through or not and that's no way to have families living it is simply not acceptable and i've contacted like i've contacted the high the people that are in charge of this board in the hse and politically over the last couple of weeks to try and see can we do something and in in a number of instances where there is acute financial pressure i've identified a number of cases to see can we do something with it and it's still coming back with the same case that the, you know funding hasn't been um approved and you see if you go back but, to but, but I, I read on the paper over the weekend that there was an internal HSE memo that said they must stick rigidly to the allocation of nursing home beds they need to be more flexible I mean isn't that the key to well, this well you see it is penny wise and pound foolish yeah. right you know there was um a leaked memo there from the HSE maybe four weeks ago in early August in terms of the care for the elderly and funding for care for the elderly. I spoke in your programme earlier this summer in relation to decisions that were made that there would be no home helps available uh, until the end of the year. There was no extra home help and then that was denied that there was additional, there isn't additional home helps coming into the system. And it's penny wise and pound foolish, right? If you take it in the first instance, right, if you take the home help, the home help is a, a facility to ensure that uh, there is care given to a person in their own home. That saves the state huge amounts of money if somebody can be kept in their own home as long as it's humanly possible. So to ensure that their best value for money, the home health service, like, I mean, you know, anybody that has any experience with the home health service would praise them to the nth degree. And we too, if I take my public representative role off, and as a family, we could not speak highly enough about the home health and the home care team that, you know, that we have engaged with over the years, and we want to thank them for that. But if we look at it, the state that pays so much money 
if they encouraged more home helps, if there was more home helps available, there would be less people then looking for the nursing home uh, fair deal scheme. And that would in, in turn spare the state. But then if you take it to the fair deal, encourage people into nursing homes who are in acute beds, who are uh, the beds that are so badly needed. Everybody that has any interaction with the hospitals will see the waiting list and the A&Es or the uh, acute beds. And that's again causing a, a, an issue. And this law will continue and my fear is that going back three or four years ago there was a 12 week waiting list from the time funding was approved to the time it was sanctioned and that wasn't acceptable at the time that caused huge pressure on families huge pressure on the health service and I think that it is high time that you know they looked at what funding is available and how the funding can be best spent because we all know that the demands that are on the health service and if we had you know better facilities at both the fair deal and the home help teams it would be far better for society and for the state as a whole uh, and i've just seen it uh, we're getting some texts in on this but here's one from Teresa to say uh, with reference to the fair deal uh, it can take it, t- it takes nearly 8 weeks of hell if you've got somebody in a nurse home before it kicks in you have to pay weekly for the home for the home care costs which cost us our family €1,200 a week we ended up paying €7,500 in total and I've been told we won't get the money back and uh, just uh, my advice to people if you're applying for fair deal apply in plenty of time but leave your loved one in the hospital until the fair deal comes through and you can understand why Theresa is saying that uh, Absolutely and that is the point I am making right you know that is what is going to happen in this instance that they're going to apply in plenty of time and that they are you know is now out there because you know anybody that's engaging with the services that are advising we in our office would be advising people and they're completing the forms of the delay anybody else that's doing the same or saying that there is a delay in the funding and they will be slow in taking from the acute hospitals so therefore there's going to be more pressure on the hospitals and that will back up the more people that are in A&E the more people are waiting three and four days on trolleys Well that affects the wider society and they and it's not that beds aren't available I mean Nursing Home Ireland are out this week saying beds are available from Cork to Donegal so there are beds there we just need the funding for it It, it needs the funding for yeah. it and I mean it, the, okay. it, it's, it's, it's a whole issue and like there was a memo in relation to care the other day I think that it is hugely hugely important like we've all prided ourselves in being able to care for the elderly in this country and I think it's huge important that both the home health team the home care packages and the fair deal is properly now you know William D brought in a bill to say that if while they're waiting for the fair deal that it's funding to come through that that funding should be put towards providing care for a person in their own home full time because I think it is crucially important that you know it's no longer acceptable to say oh there's a delay you know as the months of June and July creeped on and into August that there was a delay of one two and three weeks and now we're in the up with people that thought that they were getting funding after five weeks are still waiting seven and eight weeks time and as uh, your texter said there that they're waiting eight weeks and it's cost them seven and a half thousand which there is no refund for yeah, it's just not fair. It's just not fair. And and I, I hate to even get into the issue of the home help hours, but I saw your leader, Mihal Martin, saying at the weekend that people trying to access home help. So I don't know what part of the country was in, but some have been told only if somebody dies in their community will they get a home help hour. That is unfortunately the case. Uh, it, it, it is unfortunately the case. And like, as I said in your, earlier, you know, the value for money for the state 
in relation to the home health cannot be quantified. The carers uh, announce, which there's a huge delay in the 16 or 18 weeks, which I spoke in your program about, but the 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 the, the home uh, care and the home help hours, they provide a massive service and that they spare the state no kind of money. But the problem is that they're way, what they're saying is that the existing fund, uh, hours that are there, and unless somebody goes into a nursing home or passes on that those hours can't be passed to somebody that's waiting to be um, discharged from hospital to go into their own home so that they can remain in their own home with the support of the state and like that is the facts and they are the facts since early summer that somebody has to pass on before the home health hours are reallocated. Okay, we leave it there, uh, Michael. Listen, thank you for that and thanks for joining us on the programme. Thank you. Uh, good morning to you. That is Fianna Fáil Dáil Deputy Michael Moynihan on Fair Deal. And Theresa is back. This is whose family member ended up in Fair Deal. Eight week delay, seven and a half thousand euros that the family had to pay for the nursing home care until the Fair Deal uh, kicked in. Uh, she said, just to let people know, the prescription charges are not covered under Fair uh, Deal. And when you, while you will get a quote telling you what you'll have to pay for your loved one, it doesn't stay at the same price on every invoice. You end up having to pay out a lot of money the family have to give out. That's on top of the uh, fair deal and that's from Theresa. Pharmacists say they can help solve the increased demand for healthcare. The Irish Pharmacy Union is calling on the government to provide funding to allow them to expand their services. And joining me to explain more from the Irish Pharmacy Union is spokesperson Cathy Marr. Good morning to you, Cathy. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, and, and you're welcome. Uh, now, what kind of services do you believe you can offer at the local pharmacy? We have a wide range of services that we can provide and are provided really well in other countries. We have evidence to also back up all of these services to prove to government that they work. So what we're asking for in Budget 2020 is for Minister Harris, for the Department of Health, for other decision makers to really invest in pharmacy service to allow us help the health system get back on its feet. So the services that we would be speaking about would be, one is called a minor ailment scheme. And how that works, it gives equality of access to care for patients. So we do this in our practice, in my pharmacy every day. I deal with minor ailments for private patients who come in, have their consultation, and then pay privately for the product that they need if they need a product. For patients with a medical card, they need to have the consultation and then if they need that medicine, that treatment on their medical card, I must then refer them back to their doctor. Oh, of so course. They, yeah. So they can avail of that. I mean, that in itself is... To avail time. of exactly what you would have said the per- person needs. They then have to go to their GP. They have to go to their GP, go through the same consultation, take up oh. that appointment slot at the GP. And we all saw the Sunday Independent this week. Yeah. GP services are on their knees. Yeah. Many aren't taking on new new patients. And really, about, about one in five, about 18 to 20% of a GP's workload is spent on these minor ailments. So this, this is nothing new. This isn't rocket science. There was a pilot study back in 2016 when... Um, our Taoiseach was Minister for Health and again he said this is a super service that we need to roll out so really what we're trying to do is give equality of access to prompt effective and safe treatment through a minor ailment scheme which would allow patients with a medical card present at their pharmacy have their consultation with the pharmacist and if something is required to treat so say for example athlete's foot Mm. that I could provide that cream that is available without prescription but I could provide it on their medical card and then they would only have to pay the prescription levy rather than have to refer them back to their GP. If I have two patients in a pharmacy 
and one has athlete's foot and one has uncontrolled blood pressure, I know which one I want to treat in the pharmacy and I know which one I want Absolutely. to send to their doctor Absolutely. quickly. And uh, I'm right in saying that all the pharmacies already have consultation rooms. The facilities are there. The facilities are there. Like Since November 2011, it has been a legal requirement for pharmacies to have a consultation room. And that coincides with one of the really successful extended services that we provide, which is influenza vaccination and just this year for this incoming flu season pharmacies will now be allowed to administer the flu vaccine from age 10 upwards because the government can see that we've not only increased the uptake within pharmacy but actually people in general the entire population has increased their uptake of flu vaccine so it's been clearly demonstrated that pharmacy as a clinical setting as a healthcare professional really help drive public interest, help drive health promotion and help with the well-being of the general population. And this isn't something new because it pharmacies are providing these services, aren't they, in other countries? It's really effective. International best practice shows that some of these services, I've detailed one at the minor ailment scheme and I can go through some others, but international best practice shows that this works, that it frees up GP time, who then can deal with the patients that really, really need them. But also we want to look at people maybe understanding their medicines better, taking their medicines better, and really, as we're living longer as well, how do we look at chronic disease? So it's looking at all of that. But it's not a case of pharmacists versus doctors. It's not that whatsoever. What we want to do is create a scenario where the patient is the ultimate winner, that we look after the best care for the patient, that that the GP time is freed up to deal with the complex patients that need to, and then that patients are dealt with in the lowest level of complexity, so really close to their home, that they're not moving on to A&E situations or minor injury situations when really they can be dealt with at the pharmacy. And the and of course one of the real pluses is that the local pharmacy you're open longer hours and in many cases open all weekend. We are. So my own pharmacy, I'm in County Meath. My own pharmacy, we open nine to seven Monday to Friday, yeah, nine to six yeah. on Sundays. Many pharmacies open much longer hours. Many many open on Sundays. Many open later nights. And most pharmacies will have well by law we have one pharmacist. Most pharmacies will have two or three pharmacies pharmacists within it to practice. So patients, we are the most accessible healthcare professional. Yeah, yeah. We've had almost 80 million visits to a pharmacy in the past year, about one and a half, one point six million visits every week to a pharmacy. So we are there as the first port of call. So when the government and people laws, already have relationships with their local pharmacist. Absolutely. Yeah. So one of the new services that we would like to bring in, and again, we have a pilot study, we've evidence to prove that this works. We can look to our nearest year our nearest neighbours in the UK but also we have Irish evidence to back up that a new medicine service would help people understand and adhere, comply, take their medicines properly. So when we look at things like chronic disease and most people with a chronic long-term condition do not take their medicines properly. We know that and that is proven. Someone with a high blood pressure, only about 50% of those patients are taking their medicines as they should which means half of all people with high blood pressure aren't being treated properly. So a new medicine service would be a scheme whereby when a patient is prescribed a new medicine for chronic condition for the first time, that when we dispense it, when they come in and put the prescription into the pharmacy and we dispense that, we won't see that patient again as it is for another 30 days. The GP might not see that patient for another three months. They usually say, we'll take that and come back and see me in three or four months. But if a scheduled intervention takes place within the first 10 to 14 days that the pharmacist has a consultation either face-to-face or by phone and checks in with the patient how is that medication going how is any side effects 
are you having any difficulty? Have you any more questions for me? That has been shown to be really successful in improving adherence, so people sticking with the medicine, or if it doesn't suit, that they go back to the GP quicker. So it's really effective. We all know about high medicine costs. And the most expensive medicine is one that isn't taken at all yeah, or not taken yeah. properly. And has so these exp- are really effective ways of just improving health efficiencies. And Cathy, has expansion of pharmacy services been discussed under the Slauncher Care document? Because Slauncher Care is all about bringing everything back out into the community. It has been discussed and when we meet with ministers and with officials, they say absolutely these are great ideas. But we need to put meat on the bones. We need to see funding for these services. These services don't happen without the right funding behind them. So now is the time that we call on government to actually put money where the mouth is, actually invest, use Budget 2020 as an opportunity. And it's not taking from one practice to give to another, it's actually investing money efficiently efficiently to create these services to then free up GP time and then Really, that feeds up into free up A&E time. People don't present to A&E when they can get to their GP. They don't present to their GP if they're treated effectively in pharmacy. So it's really the spirit of Sancho Care is to provide care at the lowest level of complexity. And that tends to be close to a patient's home. That's where we want care to be given. Pharmacists are highly trained, skilled clinical professionals. And when we know the patient needs to be seen further, up the chain to the GP or A. You'll refer them. Yeah. We refer. We yeah. do that all day, every day. And, and Cathy, have you any idea on how much it would cost to expand the services of, of pharmacies? Each service requires funding and that would be coming down to discussion within government and within pharmacy contractors. So that w- that's another decision. The evidence is there to prove that it's not just the investment that you have to put in at the start. It's the long-term savings. I mean, if a patient presents at GP care or presents at A&E care, that's a higher cost to the health service than if they come into the it's pharmacy yeah, yeah. and get their minor ailment treated. So regardless of what it costs, it's, it's, it's going to be less than what it would cost if they went to a GP or to, or to the accident emergency department. Absolutely. Yeah. If we have, if we can yeah. go back to that patient with high blood pressure, if they're taking their medicine effectively, then that will prevent or certainly stave off a cardiac event and where's the cost benefit in that yeah. it's certainly an investing okay. and uh, to quote yourself it ain't rocket science why, why it hasn't been put in place already I don't know listen we leave it there it's an issue no doubt we'll come back to it again but uh, thank you for joining us and talking to us on the programme this morning Thank you. Good morning to you. That is Cathy Marr, who is spokesperson with the Irish Pharmacy Union. We're going to take a break. We have news at 12 midday, or news at 11, sorry, o'clock on the way. In the next hour, we're going to be talking about the ancient market rights, which were just bestowed on the whole of Ireland, but towns and uh, villages by yielding the England, English kings. And these laws are still in place. C103 Anthems. The biggest songs of all time. C103 Anthems. Songs that continue to inspire generations. Songs that continue to inspire generations. Weekday mornings from 9 and evenings at 7. Cork's Greatest Hits.
C103. C103 and Cork Volunteer Centre presents the very first Cork Volunteer Awards, taking place Friday, October 11th. These awards aim to celebrate and recognise remarkable people throughout Cork who selflessly give their time and talent to benefit local communities. Visit volunteercork.ie now and shine a light on your volunteers by nominating them for an award. The Cork Volunteer Awards 2019 at the Kingsley Hotel with Cork Volunteer Centre, Cork Independent and Cork's Greatest Hits, C103. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Now, already on the programme this morning, we've been discussing the crisis that is in older people's care and particularly when it comes to providing fair deal and funding for fair deal and giving families access to the residential care that their loved ones need. And, you know, we're hearing from families how difficult it can be. Well, Paddy has contacted us and this is this is not to do with uh, older people's care, but it's a, a problem his family finds themselves in with his daughter. Uh, good morning to you, Paddy. Hello, how are you? Um, how are I'm, you I'm, I listen, I'm, I'm, do, I'm doing well. It's your daughter and tell yeah. me about your daughter first. No, the situation is now that like for years now, like when she got sick about, and we say eight years ago, like kind of, you know, she became a self-harmer, right? Yeah. And like she went to Aisling down there in Black Rock and the Twelve Adolescent Station down there and she went there, she progressively got worse and and uh, she was living. In, she was living mostly. She living mostly in the Mercy Hospital in Saint Michael's. There, there, you know. And the thing is that uh, what she has been doing. When you see this, they, they put a voluntary because she acts so okay. So they put a voluntary. So she has been going up, going on the train up to Dublin Force, uh, going to James's Hospital, self harming herself, right? Yeah. Going in there and basically running out the door because like a child would do. So she got an intellectual disability. Runs out the door. And when the girls are after, she runs away. And then, but no, she and the Martyr Hospital as well, sorry, as well as that. And no, but no, she's she's gone worse. She's gone to Belfast. No, she was picked up at the weekend. No, by the police, like in Belfast, by the penal so you know. And they took her to the Royal Victoria Hospital. And I mean, it's getting very dangerous. Like, and they won't put her in voluntary for me. I mean, I, I'm a stroke victim. Ah. Uh, the last time she was here, but she was never here with me, but the last time she was here was about a year ago. Uh, she ran out to the hospital and the girls were called, but the girls were here first. She didn't know that and the girls were just going away. I called them back and she attacked me. So, you see... Uh, and has she has she been diagnosed with... She's got schizophrenia. Schizophrenia, okay. Schizophrenia with an attention disorder and an intellectual disability and... And you're saying the fact that she's only voluntary in as yeah. a patient, oh, yeah. she, she can, can walk, walk to, she, she can walk. walk out to the room whenever she feels like it. And you feel she needs to be... Of course she does, of course she does. Permanently she, in some kind of a, yes, psych, a psychiatric... She more, but they won't keep her long there either because she acts good. You see, she acts good in front of the doctor. When the doctor comes, you see, and they won't keep her. But like I've told the doctor uh, time and time again, please... She's not well, like, 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 no, no, at the start of this, right? Mm. No, Dr. Marla Delaney, don't, in the airplane, like, first of all, she wouldn't take her tablets, so they had to get a second of opinion, because we had to go to court hearings to Conroleary, Conroleary to, to get a restraining order for her, because they don't do that, do that sort of thing, they're in the airplane, they don't, they, they hadn't got the power to do that. No, 
Now, she had to get a second opinion down from St. John of God's Hospital, right? From so started the first guy, and he brought me and her mother into the room and said, Just listen, uh, uh, I'm not going to lie to you, but your daughter is very ill. She's got multiple attention disorder, you know? Uh, it's like yeah, so it's, so, so it's, uh, she's not getting the care that you that she needs is what no, she's, is, is, no, is. she's not. And there, and then you, as her dad, you, what are you constantly waiting on phone calls to see oh, where God, she the is? The whole time, and I've had a stroke in January seven. That only actually the first stroke I got. No, only one in seven people survived. Right? Wow, <laughs> you're so mad. And the last one I got was last year. I saw it up in the scan, and it's. It's like, like, I'm just crying out for help. To tell I know, to. I know. No, her mother, her mother helps me a bit, like, but she can't do everything. I mean... And is, when, when your daughter self-harms, um, Paddy, is it very bad? Does no, it, no, 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 the superficial cuts. Okay. And the but it, that's a cry for help. It's, it? no, yeah. it's not really, because it's, all she wants to do is get into hospitals and get the attention for, for the attention to solve, you see. Oh, oh I see. Okay. Now, now right. she had a policewoman on mind for the weekend they're up in Belfast. I mean, you wouldn't put it in the book. Uh, and, like, I rang her and I said, are you all right? And the policewoman came on the phone. Like, and, and, no, she's going to keep on doing this now time and time again. And Belfast can be a dangerous place, you know. So you reckon what she'll be discharged in a few days? Is oh, this... probably tomorrow. I'd say tomorrow. She's and how will she get back from Belfast? Oh, well, they to give her a taxi over the border, usually, and... Uh, like, like then, she they, she gets to train on herself tonight, but she won't want to go. Like, they, they want to discharge into the care of Dr. Barry, of course, that would be her consultant, right? But she won't want to do that, you see. She, she'll probably, uh, like, 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 she's like a child. She'll probably go to bingo, right? Yeah. This is mad. I know you're nearly laughing. Like, spend all of her money that she gets every week. She has no regard for money because she has no, she's like a child, you see. And then she'll try to ring me to try to come up here, but I only I can't leave her because I'm afraid of her. And, and where does she, when she's not in hospital, where is she living? Well, she lives in St. Michael's in the Mercy Lake. Oh, she lives there more. Okay, all oh, right. God, yeah, but then living. she, but she's able to go in and out and and of the hospital. Oh yeah, yeah. But, but until this happens, like until yeah. this happens, like until she she gets, you know, and until this happens, she she. And does. you think she needs to be. Committed oh. to a psych to to yes. a, a, a psychiatric for, for, for her own, own safety, because Mary, I'm afraid that someone will take her away someday or kill or something. I know, I know. She's voluntary, you see. It's a dreadful worry. It's a it's a dreadful dreadful uh, of worry. Of course, it's not she's she's a, she's a, she's de- she's an adult, so therefore that's the problem, you see. But you see, like you see, the thing is, like I mean, Jesus, it's going to go on forever more. So I mean, it'll never stop. Like, she'll go to Belfast again because she got the attention. She'll come down over this week. Uh, she'll be fine for the week, right? We 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 know, know the way she'll be. The family know the way she carries on. She'll be there for a week, right? And the following week she'll go again. Off in the train again. And she usually then, what she does is, to upset me, she just rings and goes, I'm going, goodbye. And she's not actually going to nowhere, you know what I mean? I know, I know, but she she knows she knows the buttons to push as well. But yeah, then it's which is, she she's battling her own demons as well. Um, uh, God help her. Uh, but it's it's the help that she needs for her, for herself and to give you not, and the rest of your family. Yes. And does she have periods of wellness when she has good mental health? Uh, only only for a couple of days. That there's no gaps in between. No holiday, like. Oh, I see. It doesn't no, last see, very long. There was before uh, a bit of a gap, but not now. 
No, okay. no, she like she might go to rehab and not be asleep by the hospital. That's the place where they might go. Like she'd be grand for a couple of days and next thing then gone again. Okay, all right. We'll see. You you've been very brave to put it out there. There's got to be others who've who've well, been I in to, this. You know, you may be like I'm in an awful way. Like I can't I know, sleep. Night. I know. And it's, I, the last time I had a bad seizure, I was seven hours unconscious. Uh, I know, and you're, yeah, you need to look after yourself as well. My brother came in the oh. door, only, only, only for that I could have been dead. Uh, he was taking me for a spin, and the door was opened, and there was no answer, you know? Okay, well, we'll see what others, we'll, we'll see what other listeners have been through, got to have been through similar situations. What is the answer uh, for you and your daughter? In the meantime, look after yourself, that's it's the main thing. Thanks very much for no problem, no problem. I don't know what to do, you know? I know, I, I, really I know. Don't, cause I'm telling me this old... Look, it's only bullshit. She, she has a, she has the mentality of a child. Like I know. she's not an adult. And you know, you know her better than anyone. You, 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 of course, yeah, I'm not a yeah. mother. Yeah. All right, all right, Paddy. Listen, thank you, thank you for that. If anybody has words of advice for Paddy, as I say, there's got to be others who have been through a, a similar situation who feels the care that her daughter needs. She needs to be committed to a psychiatric uh, unit, but she's able to play with the doctors almost, and that's not taken from the doctors. But she's able to act well when she needs to act well. But then it's what's the what the family are left with, and then that constant worry. There's no parent wants to lie awake at night wondering where your son or daughter is and no matter what age they are they'll always be uh, your son and daughter 1850 some more of your calls and texts coming in to us Maura on Fair Deal uh, says uh, Patricia the earliest I will be able to get home help for my mother I've been told is next year my mother has uh, dementia and she was diagnosed six uh, years ago and Patricia you mentioned that people have to die before others will get home help. Well, I know for a fact, says Moore, that that is happening. Yeah, because it, it was Micheál Martin mentioned that, that some people had rang up, but he didn't say what part of the country. So I was wondering, it could have been anywhere in the country, but Moore reckons it's happening here in Cork, that in some areas, if you look for home help, you're told you're going to have to wait until somebody dies in your area, in your locality, in your community, which just is a dreadful thing for any family to uh, be told. 1850 I mentioned that lovely couple from West Cork who passed away within 40 minutes of each other from Drimmer League and who were, were buried uh, yesterday. It's making, it's a lovely story. It's making the front page of the Echo uh, today. Well, that's prompted a listener to say, Patricia, about that couple who died together and from Drimmer League, uh, may they rest in peace. It's lovely for themselves. My husband and myself always wished for that and we actually, we prayed for it. We were so united. We were one another's whole world. But unfortunately, it didn't happen for us. My husband died just November last unexpectedly. So my whole world is gone. I'm in my 50s. That couple are lucky. They've gone together. One is not left with a broken heart. A West Cork listener. Oh my God, that's just heartbreaking. Absolutely uh, heartbreaking and you're only in your 50s you're you're a young woman you have a lot of living uh, left to do and you know all I can say is you're still in the, the fact it's only last November you're still in the early stages really of bereavement that this dark dark time it will pass you know the sun will shine again I know it's it's hard at the moment and when you've lost the absolute love of your life as you say we were one another's world it's, uh, there's no right time to say goodbye and when it was an unexpected death like that it's just my heart goes out to you and, and I hope I don't know what support mechanism you have around you but I hope you've got a really good family and friends who are looking after you and you know 
uh, one day the world will seem a brighter place. It seems very, very cruel at the mo- moment to you, but my heart goes out to you. But thank you for your text to uh, 0862 uh, 103 103. And we have some people commenting on the Rose Tralee and what happened with the Rose of Tralee last night who was training the dog and Dahi O'Shea using the Dublin jersey or to let on that he was cleaning up after the dog. Uh, Maura says, uh, Patricia, the Dublin Rose is a veterinary nurse in Dublin Zoo. And if I was a betting person, says Maura, I'd be putting a fiver on her. Thought she did really well last night. And Shadahi is only a messer. It was kind of funny. And I thought her reaction was the best. The very fact she was horrified to think that her dog could have had an accident on the stage, says Maura. And Tony in Thanakilty says, Trisha Dahi O'Shea was only copying Pat Short, who had a similar post up on social media prior to the All-Ireland hurling final recently. And, and thank you for that, Tony. Actually, I saw it and it was Pat Short wishing the... Tipperary team well and then at the end of it he took out a Kilkenny jersey and he left on he let on he was cleaning up after his dog mess with the Kilkenny jersey saying that that's all it's good for and it was a great big skit and someone else is saying the same thing Pat Short did the same joke with Kilkenny t-shirt last week online it's a pity so many people take things so seriously and actually a Dublin person listening to us uh, Maura in Formoy is from Dublin uh, living in Formoy and she said um, everybody knew that the dog hadn't had an accident on stage people are just totally losing their sense of humour and that's from Maura in Formoy 1850 333103 lines open C103 Jobs O'Callaghan Motorworks in Kenturk they're currently looking for a car wash attendant slash valeter and that's for a full-time position where Vodafone and Bandit and Clonakilty they're looking for full and part-time retail sales assistance those jobs do come with immediate start a landscape operative is required for a busy East Cork landscaping business and a minibus driver is wanted for the Blarney Dunamore area you'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more this is C103 according to Sean O'Reardon in today's Examiner newspaper former kings of England have come back to haunt Cork County Council's plans to introduce bylaws which would designate casual trading spaces in local towns and villages taking up the story uh, Councillor Alan Coleman good morning to you Alan good morning uh, and, and you're welcome what are the council hoping to achieve with the new bylaws that they're trying to introduce well these have been on the go for quite a while now Patricia I suppose the whole idea is to regularise trading not just within the towns the villages at our beaches um, you know uh, scenic spots um, <clears throat> as you can imagine some, some of the beaches there uh, some of the traders just pick the, the busiest spot and might, might cause traffic congestion, a bit of you know safety for kids, things like that. It wouldn't, mightn't be the, their priority, but uh, the priority for the council would be to ensure that you would designate an area that would be f- suitable for, for casual trading and that they'd stay within those areas. And that the public obviously would have a say in this. You know, the, the, there was a, a period of public consultation and... Uh, that's that's really the thinking behind it, that, that you'd have some bit of regulation in terms of where people would, would carry out casual trading. And then you discovered that these ye old decrees say the traders can trade anywhere they want. Is, is that it? Within the older towns, I suppose, if you rewind back a bit, there was a serious problem in Bantry in the past. I the remember it, yeah. Yes, the way yeah. back along with the local authority had a, involved in a high court case with traders there when there was a 
the work being done in the square in Bantry. Now, that was resolved, um, and <clears throat> the, the trading rights weren't extinguished. There were, and there was an agreement between the traders and the local authority to regulate the trading in that area and later in the same area. So the Bantry was kind of resolved. But when the council went about uh, bringing in bylaws for the entire county, they were advised legally, and this was on the basis of experience in Kilkenny where they had some similar problems, they discovered that you really have to find out about all the old towns and maybe bigger villages as well, that some of them had you know, royal chapters or royal decrees that would have created ancient trading rights. And the um, 1995 Casual Trading Act didn't extinguish those rights kind of scattered around the whole thing and bypassed it a bit. So the council has been advised to go. They've got a, a legal activist uh, who would check the archives and establish what town or what village has actually got the ancient trading rights. And they would have to be treated maybe with kid gloves, shall we say, compared to any other, say, a new town like Bellin-Colleague or Carrigline, you know, Carrigline, the new bigger towns, you know. So that... Um, and we're not just talking about the big... The bigger towns like Bantry now and Skibbereen and, and abandoned like places like um, Ross Carberry would, would know would be a place where there'd be the ancient trading rights as well, you know. So, you, you know, it depends whether whichever king decided to give a royal charter or a, a royal decree to, to, to whatever town or village but that was in the, the bailiwick of one of, uh, one of the lords that was well in with the king at the time. <laughs> And they date these ancient market rights. They date back what many hundreds of years ago. Many hundreds depends which 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 uh, which royal decided to to give a chapter to um to whoever. I mean, and it was always through the local lord or <coughs> who was who was who was uh, calling the shots at the time. So it was it was really seen as as a, an important um, feather in a cap, say, of a, in a local area. If there was uh, ancient trading rights, if there was a chapter or a decree issued. From um, <clears throat> from London, but they're causing the local authority a bit of a headache now because they all have to be found, dug out, uh, because there's no point to bring in trading laws. They've been told because someone could come along and say, "Well, you know, we found this this ancient right that we have in this village or this town," and uh, it appears that the um, Casual Trading Act of uh, 1995 doesn't really carry any weight when it comes to um, dealing with uh, a royal chapter or a royal decree from several hundred years ago. So would I be right in thinking, you, I mean, the doll need to get involved. You're going to, wouldn't legislation need to be put in place to get rid of well, these rights? Well, I, yeah, I, I've checked that out. It appears that the, 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 the Casual Trade Act could be firmed up quite a lot, but for some reason, the Oireachtas chose to skirt around this side of it completely and ignore the issue of ancient trading rights. And the legal advice is that um, the Compt Act, which is the 1995 Act, in no way tackles that, and, and um, I suppose if you're playing a game of poker, like the, uh, the ancient trading rights completely outtrump the, um, the the Casual Trading Act. So a, a stronger Casual Trading Act would have to be passed bec- uh, to, to extinguish the rights, or else you know, the other alternative is what Cockney Council is doing at the moment, is actually trawling through the legal archives and finding where there are rights and where there aren't rights and trying to introduce bylaws in a uh, tiptoeing, as I say, between the different chapters and decrees. Now, it's hoped that this work, that apparently there's been uh, an archivist working on this with some time, and it, yeah. the, the, the council tell us that um, they hope to have this completed by the end of to, this year, 2019, 
and that in 2020 that we, we may have action in, in terms of moving on uh, casual trading lights. But, you know, they have to go to local municipal districts and there has to be public consultation, you know, you know, because it is an issue that the public would have an interest in and could have their say in where they think is a good or, or bad place. For I trading. mean, it would affect things like the all of the farmers' markets, which, which are extremely yes. popular. It would indeed, it would indeed. Now, I remember when, they were, when these were introduced first, uh, people in the horse business got very animated about it because, you know, they were concerned that uh, one and two day fairs and things like that would be affected. But yeah, the, the, the whole trust of the, these is to deal with uh, events that are maybe on a daily or a weekly, ma- on a weekly basis um, yeah. and, and not not to, to hinder, you know, annual events. You know, Like, like the, the horse fairs, like... Yes, Ballinabuie or, or Carami. I, yeah, I mean, or, I mean, Carami Car- 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 in Bolshevik, nobody organises. They just turn up. <laughs> I mean, yes. you know, but there's not, there's not a bylaw in the world that's going to stop horse traders turning up to Carami in July. Yeah, but uh, uh, people in the horse business, as I say, got very animated about it. But really, it's that 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 was not the target of the. It's, it's, it's the weekly it's ones. The yeah, weekly the ones. That are yeah. weekly and daily, you know, on yeah. beaches, uh, on the side of the road, you see them, and, and the farmers and country markets. Well, actually, I was, well. I was in Inchidani at the weekend and I saw on the Sunday there was um, stalls, you know, casual traders that mm-hmm. had set up, somebody was doing crepes, somebody else was doing teas and coffees, uh, etc., which w- w- a number of years ago, well, you wouldn't have seen that. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't know. I mean, it's, it's definitely a growing business. But in terms of beaches, like, you know, it's important that the Gardaí would say this as well as our own engineers, that, you know, some of the sites that are currently picked are not the safest or the best sites in terms of traffic management or safety for people. So that, that there are factors that would have to be taken into account in casual trading. Um, so it's not, it's, it's not like any big hammer to crack a nut, but unfortunately it is taking a huge amount of effort to try and and locate all of these, as I say, ancient um, chapters of the crees that created the uh, royal chapters and the crees that created these ancient trading rights. Um, a much easier way to deal with it would, would be to um, to have an act passed in the act. That would, that yeah, because as you say, this season. isn't just affecting Cork. Oh no, it's it's, it's county, it's countrywide. Uh, other local authorities have shied away from it, but. Uh, you are certain Kilkenny had problems. Uh, obviously, that's an ancient of city, and I believe Kerry County Council had problems in Kenmare as well, oh, and a lot of other county councils are ways to see how Cork fell out. As I said, the specific issue in Bantry was resolved, but this is a global issue, and it could affect any old village or any old town. You know, that's been around for a while, okay. it's like Glanbrook even. You know, yeah, 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 yeah. Town, you know? yeah. All right, yeah. listen, we'll, okay. wa- we'll watch this one with interest, uh, Alan. Thank you for that. Thank and uh, um, thanks uh, for joining us. That is Councillor Alan uh, Coleman with the problems that Cork County Council are facing with old ancient market uh, rights. Uh, 1850-333-103. couple of texts coming in on driving. Where are they gone? Let me get to this one first. Um, as discussed yesterday, there are people in Ireland that are driving courtesy of an amnesty. When um, And I, men- I mentioned this yesterday. There was an amnesty given to people on a second or subsequent provisional back in I think somebody surely will remember the date because if you got your driving licence you'll probably remember it. It's the late 70s early 80s was when and there was this one-off amnesty and if you had a driving licence a second or a subsequent uh, 
driver's license, provisional license, you could change it for a full license and people were are to this day driving around and they never took took a test. And this is all to do with the clampdown on learner drivers and the Road Safety Authority and the Gardaí and they're getting tough again on learner drivers. And you may have seen it on the news. They're talking about the number of people who's have who've had cars seized. This is since obviously the Clancy Amendment came in, which was Christmas of last year. Um, 1,600 learner cars now they didn't necessarily belong to the learner driver but they were the learner driver was driving the car without an accompanied driver with them and 1,600 of those cars were seized in the last year and then I mentioned if people were waiting around on learner permit in the hope of getting a test under the amnesty and the hope of getting a full licence under the amnesty they could forget it because there's rules and regulations in place that the government can never do that again. That's prompted this listener to respond and say while you've got people driving in this country courtesy of that amnesty so they never sat a driving test yet You've got returning citizens who've obtained a full licence in foreign countries, including America and Australia, and they are unable to exchange their licences for an Irish driving licence. They are required to take six learner lessons and reset their driving test again in this country. Applying for a test can be a very lengthy process and is adding to the extremely long waiting times. The explanation given by the Minister of Transport is that these drivers need to familiarise themselves with the rules of the road in Ireland even though these rules are universal. It would be more sensible for these drivers to attend and pass an advanced driving course set by the Road Safety Authority. And if successful, they could then be approved for an Irish licence. Oh, that's a really, really good suggestion. You should pass that on. You should put that down in an email and send it on to to the RSA and to the Minister for Transport. I think that's a really good uh, suggestion. And also there there is an anomaly within that because... If you are returning from, it depends on the country you're returning from. If you're, some countries, if you got your full license in uh, and you return to Ireland, you can just swap your license straight away. I mean, for example, even just across the water in England, if you got your full license there, you can swap it and English people are being reminded because of Brexit to make sure that they change their their license over to an Irish license. But it's just certain foreign countries that they say no, they class returning immigrants as if they've never driven and you've got to start all over again even though they did reduce the 12 lessons down to 6 lessons to people who could prove that they were driving in a different country. But you're not the first to complain about that and unfortunately you're not going to be the last until it changes. And it is one of the reasons when you talk to some of our our immigrants who left this country and have gone abroad you know the ones we're trying to bring back the nurses and the doctors and various other professions that we need them back in this country and you talk to them about coming home and they'll give a list of reasons which will make it difficult for them to return and the driver's licence has been mentioned because not only is it a pain to have to start all over again take your lessons apply for your test and all of that but your insurance costs will go through the roof because you are a learner driver when you come into this country. Even I remember talking with somebody who had driven through the streets of Manhattan. He was he was twenty years driving in New York, never had an accident, never had a bump or a scrape, you know, complete clear license and 
no claims bonus on his insurance and he'd all the evidence with him and he was told no he'd have to, he had to start from scratch all over again and he went down as a learner driver and he just could not get over the nonsense now he passed his test first time round but he just could not believe that he was being put into that situation and the cost that was involved uh, in it as well so until that situation changes we're going to continue to have more returning immigrants complain about it and then Raymond in Clondrohid was on to say he sat his driving test twice and he didn't pass it and so he's still a, a learner driver and his L plates up so he wants to know does the new rules about driving on your own apply to him because people keep saying new learner drivers but they don't mention if you haven't passed twice <laughs> okay Raymond you're still a learner driver and you will be a learner driver until you pass your test so all the rules and regulations the new rules the old rules whatever they are they still apply to you as a learner driver. I mean, we heard during the week that there are nearly 9,000 people who have 10 times renewed their learner permit. They've never obviously taken a test or maybe some of them have taken a test and failed. So no, unfortunately, 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 you're still a learner driver. The same rules apply to you, which mean you must have a fully qualified driver in the car with you at all times. And if you were stopped and you don't have a fully qualified driver with you, saying to the guardie, well, I've, I've failed my test twice. I'm not a new learner driver. I'm only a, I'm a, a bit of a learner driver, but not a new learner driver. will get you nowhere and you could end up having your car uh, impounded as 16, 1,600 other learner drivers have since those new rules came in. 1850 333 Lines open. Martina O'Donoghue. Make C103 part of your drive home with up-to-date traffic information and local news, your input in selecting our feel-good song of the day, plus our feel-good story and as many of Cork's greatest hits that we can fit into three hours. Join me, Martina O'Donoghue, every weekday from 4 to 7. C103. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. Now, Cork's Spike Island and the Cliffs of Moher in County Clare are in contention to be named World's Best Attraction at the prestigious International Travel and Tourism Awards to outline why our own Spike Island deserves this award. I'm joined by the Assistant Manager, uh, Tom O'Neill. Good morning to you, Tom. Good morning, Patricia, and thank you for giving me the opportunity to tell your listeners about Spike Island. Well, we are delighted, and once again, congratulations. Um, you've uh, it's it's to me, and, and I'm sure you'd agree uh, that we we want you to win. But it's a great honour, isn't it? Even to make the final list of these awards, it is, and particularly after our successes in 2017, having won the European Award in 2017 and runner-up in the world. Yeah, it's terrific. It, it really is terrific. Do, do you see additional footfall, Tom, to the island following these awards? Without a doubt, because any publicity, and particularly very good publicity, is a definite benefit. And that's definitely reflected then in the footfall and in the fact that we now have two, uh, so with the larger boat and the old boat going now fully when uh, a couple of years ago the smaller boat was adequate. So definitely there's, uh, and and not just in the oil, but of course the fact that when our visitors come down here to have such an enjoyable time, they tell their friends Word of mouth, yeah. Yeah, word word, Word of mouth. And have you a good mix of international visitors and the staycationers, the, 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 the Irish people coming to see Spike? Certainly. And of course, what we find with the, the foreign tourists uh, is that they have their research done before 
they actually get to Ireland. So they don't just arrive in Ireland and say, well, where are we going to go? They have their research done. And, of course, that then is where the advantage of having these accolades are a major benefit. Mm. And, and of course, the reviews from our visitors. That's why our, our visitors are obviously vital. We, we look after them so much, every single one of them. I was there last year, I have to say, March of last year, and, and we were blessed. It was on a beautiful spring, crisp spring day, and it was just glorious to be there when the sun shines. Yes, it's, it's, every place is nice when the sun is shining. True. It's true. Um, now, but what we have found then is because of the investment from Falta, Falta Ireland and from Cork County Council over the last uh, couple of years, we've, uh, we've been open now since 2010, we now have so many attractions indoors yeah. that while we're not fully sort of uh, weather independent, we are more weather independent now than we were. So, which is don't, great. Don't let, don't let a bit of uh, poor weather sort of turn you off. There's so much to see indoors now. And anyway, the Irish people are used to going out. Yeah, in, in, it, in it, Irish it never bothers us. OK, yeah, remind us about Spike Island. Uh, uh, it was once, I believe, the the largest prison in the world at one time. It was. Yeah. Well, well in, in, in terms of, we'll say, what's here, we, we have a very nice selection of of attractions from different teams and I think that's possibly our, our strong point. There's almost something here for everybody. Now, in terms of what is here to see, well, um, in terms of the quality of what you can see and the quantity, the quality for it, the, the military heritage is obviously number one because everything that's built on Spike was nearly built by the, by the British military over 200 years ago. So we've some fabulous built heritage. And then, of course... We have the original gun still in their emplacement and now restored for those that would be interested in all that. So that's why uh, the military is number one. It was then, of course, uh, as against almost the rest of the, 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 the country, it was garrisoned by the British Army until 1938. So while the rest of the country received independence in 1922, Spike Island didn't until 1938. Then the Irish Army were here and the naval service until 85 and it became a prison. And incarceration then is the second um, most obvious team and heritage here because as you quite uh, correctly pointed out, it was once the largest civilian prison in the world. And that was during the mid 19th century when it was a convict depot. And at at one stage there were approximately 2,300 convicts held here. And I'm, uh, and they, they yeah. would have been very bleak times, Tom. Very, very bleak. And of course, what uh, drove the prison population uh, up that time would have been famine. Yeah. Because one thing, one advantage of being a convict on Spike Island that time, you were at least guaranteed something to eat. Your fares, yeah. And of course, you they they also trained some of the convicts then to become stonecutters because they put them to use then to build some of the the buildings here on Spike and in Hall Boland, and some of them, of course, thousands of them were transported, where they put that skill to use in the likes of uh, Australia and Tasmania, those places. Yeah, yeah, and that would have started for them. They would have learned that skill on Spike Island. They would. Wow. And, and is other, it true that it started out as an experiment? It did, it did, because, again, um, the, the authorities were being inundated with 
um, those, those that were being convicted and sentenced. Uh, and of course, at, at the time, there were probably 200 crimes that carried the death penalty. So, of course, it was quite easy to be sent to prison that time. And uh, as I say, the vast majority of them would have been just, uh, let's go to prison, we've got to go to prison to, to survive. Now, the, the other time then that it became um, a prison, which would be, I'm sure, of a lot of interest here, your listeners would have been in 1921, because during the War of Independence, it also became a British military prison and internment camp, just like Kilworth mm-hmm. and just like Bear Island. And this has been a, a very strong, um, we'd say, of interest to us because we get lots and lots of families of the approximately 1,400 men that were held here during 1921. So over the last five years, we've created two very detailed databases, one on the Republican prisoners. Now, the Republican prisoners would have been those that would have been captured, convicted, tried and convicted and sentenced. And the others then would be internees that were simply under suspicion and interned. So we have lots and lots of, of, of unique information from primary source material on those individuals. And of course, at this stage now, there could be 40 or 50 families from those extended individuals that survived. So that's something that may be of interest to, and I'm sure will be actually of, of interest to your uh, to, to, and and as well, I would you're coming up to the hundredth anniversary of that in in a couple of years' time um, of 1921. Oh, you are, you are, and and uh, the um, that's something that it, it was something that we saw ourselves when it was opened as a prison. That there were lots of families of the men here that were held here in 1921 coming over to visit. And we didn't have any information, but we certainly decided to um, rectify that. And we, we have now. So we have photographs of some of the men here, quite a lot of the men. As I said, we have the databases, we have diaries, we have uh, some medals. And we have uh, a lot of men, we'll say, from from Wife, from McCormick, from, from all over Munster, from Ballino, um you go into so all of Munster and South Leinster with the martial lawyery, so that was the catchment area. And again, you have a lot of transfers from Kilworth to Spike, from Spike to Bear Island, Bear Island back to Spike. They're all so, linked, yeah. They're, all, they're linked. all linked. Yeah. All right. And uh, are there are there plans to expand Spike Island and to expand the exhibition that's there, Tom? Oh, there there, there are plans, yeah, because. Um, the this exhibition now that I've just mentioning we, we call it the independence exhibition and that includes the art and by the way um, we've had fabulous support from the the Blackwater uh, Slovakia group um, who have kindly donated items from the odd this uh, ship that was attempting to bring weapons and equipment to the volunteers in 1916 so we've of that as well so that particular exhibition is only open since last month. So if you like, that was the, the major additional attraction uh, for 2019 because that's something we're also concerned, you know, aware of, that we can't just rest on our laurels. It, we have to sort of uh, bring in something new because while we're obviously focusing on visitors, we're also very much focusing on repeat visitors. We don't want people coming down to Spike and say, that's fine, 10 years' time to come back. So we <laughs> have um, quite a lot of repeat visitors. Well and done. even, um, we'll say, 
the weekend of the, the 7th and 8th of September now, which is only two weekends away, we have a, a sort of a special weekend which covers the artillery weekend and an e, what's called EFORTS. Now, EFORTS is a European organisation that specialises in what are called fortified sites. So our EFORTS weekend this year, our artillery weekend, and a special weekend that we have every year to commemorate the War of Independence Prisoners is on the 7th and into 8th it, of into September. So. And let's not, let's not forget you employ people. You've got full and part-time people employed on Spike? They are possibly, um, uh, you know, it, it combined um, to see on Spike and the, the staff. Our, our staff here are absolutely second to none there. We, we've had them for a couple of years, but definitely they are our, um, our greatest asset. Well done. Because well done. They, they make the, um, the, the tourist uh, visit most enjoyable. Well, you've 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 certainly sold it well, and we wish you the best of luck in the competition. When it's uh, when do you know when you expect to hear how you've done in in this competition? Is yes, t- uh, it, it's uh, the the awards will be announced in early November. Early November. Okay, well, we keep our fingers crossed for you, Tom. In the meantime, thank you for that. And thanks uh, for joining us and, and sharing with us. You've got great love of Spike, which very much comes through in our chat today. Thank you for that. Patricia, thank you very much. Thanks Have for joining us. Thank you. Uh, bye-bye. That is the assistant manager out on Spike Island. And that is uh, Tom O'Neill. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Now, there's lots of calls and texts coming into the programme. Let me see if I can quickly go down through uh, some of them. Um, John in Cove, why did it take so long for... Oh, this is... this was. Oh, sorry, this was a question for Tom O'Neill, the assistant manager of Spike, that unfortunately I didn't get to. But John in Cove was wondering why did it take so long for a second boat to be put on that run to Spike, especially so late in the season when Spike has been doing so well all along. Well, let's listen. Let's not take from the fact there was a long hard-fought battle to get the second boat in place and it's in place now. So that's the absolute good news story on uh, that. And actually somebody else, Mags, was saying, Patricia, would Spike Island be suitable for somebody with walking difficulties? Now, certainly when I was out there last year, we did a lot of walking. We and we we I with smallies with us as well, and who were well able for the little boys in particular, just loved all the big guns and all of that. Um, I had Marsha with me. Um, she's well, even though she's deaf blind, but she's well able to walk once I'm with her. You know, and she's not going down steps that are very slippy or anything like that. And I, so I didn't have, I didn't, I don't remember having any difficulty with her. But it, there was a lot of walking involved. I would suggest you'd contact them in advance and explain your walking difficulties to them, and they certainly will advise you on what to do or what's what's the best course of uh, action. But. For me, certainly, we spent a lot of time walking that day, but that was our own choice, I suppose, as well, because we wanted to see as much of the island uh, as we could. Okay, on driving and driver's licences, oh, there was a a WhatsApp in. Remember there was the listener who was making the point that there's that crazy... I think it's an anomaly that exists at the moment when people are coming back from America and Australia to the countries and there's a list of countries that when if you've lived over there and you have your full driver's licence when you come back here you can't just exchange it for an Irish driver's licence as you can with a number of other countries and the you've got to start all over again learn a driver 
take your lessons, apply for your test and then hope that the nerves don't get you and that you'll pass first time and all of that. And obviously there's a cost implication uh, on it. And one of the reasons that's given for it is that the Minister of Transport says that drivers need to familiarise themselves with the rules of the road in Ireland, even though as our original texter had said, the rules of the road are universal. Francis and Jim League makes an interesting point. Americans can get off the plane in Shannon and hire out a car and go straight onto the Irish roads and they don't need to take a test. And yet somebody who has the caller that I remember from a number of years ago, was the first to highlight it with us, had been driving around Manhattan and Brooklyn for 20 years, Was drove as part of his job in New York, never in an accident, and he was made to do his test all over uh, again. So that's a, a good point from Francis. They can come on holidays and drive and we don't ask them to do uh, a test. And the listener says, why do you always refer to the 1979 amnesty driving licence holders as the only dodgy drivers around? Now, can I firstly say, I never refer to those that got their full driving licence in that 1979 amnesty as being dodgy drivers. I use it as an example of a group of people who didn't have to sit their driving test and then they got their licence. And I often reference this because I have a sneaking feeling that there are people who are still on what is a learner permit now, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth learner permit, believing that an amnesty will come in. And I cite the example that it's not going to happen again. Anyway, this listener says, many of us who were born before 1947 didn't have to do a test. And we've managed to make our way around locally and internationally with no problems at all. We had driving instructors back then too. We didn't just jump into the cars and drive away like mad things. We were quite sophisticated and responsible in the old days too. Which I don't know if and I can, I, I might, if I get a chance I'll look into this afternoon. When did the driving test come in first? If you're saying many of us born before 1947, was it in the 60s or 70s that driving tests started? Because yes, at one stage you got your licence, you applied for your licence and you got your licence. There wasn't a driving test. So I don't know when it actually started. And when I spoke about the number of cars that have been impounded, this is for people who are driving, learner drivers who are driving without a qualified driver since the new laws were introduced at the beginning of 2018. Oh, actually, they're in that. They're in nearly two years. I didn't realise that. This is the second year of them. More than one thousand six hundred cars have been seized from unaccompanied drivers. Pat wants to know, Patricia, have you any idea how much money did the state make impounding one thousand six hundred uh, cars? Uh, I think I'd like it exposed because that to me sounds like a racket, says uh, Pat. I'll see if John Paul can do a quick search on how much does it cost if your car is impounded. How much does it cost to get it back? I'm assuming there will be an overall amount and then for every day you leave the car. Is that a bit extra? I'll get John Paltrick into that just to see how much it is and we can do a rough calculation because many of those cars would have been the car, if it was a younger driver, it would have been the car of Mammy and Daddy. It was their car got impounded. But also, because we have spoken about this and we're hoping actually tomorrow, I don't know if the RSA have been confirmed yet. No, they haven't. We are hoping to talk more about this because of the stats that have come out from the Road Safety Authority on the number of people who are on a learner permit. But there are over 8,000 drivers who are on their 10th learner permit. Now, if they get stopped by the guards and don't have a qualified driver with them, they also will have their car 
impounded and they could have been in that list so when we're giving the figure of 1,600 cars seized from learner drivers they're not all young drivers but we'll try and do a calculation on how much did the state make by impounding those cars and Debbie says Patricia regarding learner drivers and the call that I had in from who Raymond in Kildrahad who has failed his test twice and feels he's not a new learner driver because he's failed his test twice and therefore he feels that the rules regarding learner drivers particularly the one about being accompanied by a qualified driver should only apply to new learners not him because he's had a second driving test failed I was going no you're wrong learner driver is a learner driver uh, Debbie is backing it up and says uh, Patricia you're classed as a learner driver and you must be accompanied until such time as you have your full licence in your hand now Debbie puts in brackets even if you pass your test you must still be accompanied until such time as you have your full licence so does that mean the day you go oh well of course you'd have to bring somebody with you because if you didn't you'd have to have somebody with you to accompany you to the test centre because you're still on a provisional but well now of course times have changed I remember passing my test and coming out and whipping off the L plates while I still only had a piece of paper that I had to then change over for a full licence but I whipped off those L plates but obviously you're not meant to do that to the letter of the law you're meant to remain as a learner driver until you have the full licence in your hand I wasn't aware of that Uh, Hi this is Louise in Cantor Hi Patricia I want to say how proud me and my family were of the Sydney Rose Rebecca Mazza actually I mentioned Rebecca yesterday and I saw her on TV last night she was stunning Rebecca in her speech to Dahi spoke of the lovely welcome she received at Cantor Community Hospital how delighted she was to meet the residents and Rebecca sang a stunning rendition of Adele's Hometown Glory and she did it pitch perfect she was fantastic I have to say that's from Louise in Cantor she was great she was great because there was a family I mentioned yesterday there was a family reunion they got, got all the extended family and all the cousins out from Cantor and Newmarket and that general area where her great-grandfather had come from and they were in Bob's Bar in Cantork and they had a bit of a reunion and it looked like she had a fantastic time so thank you for that. Uh, Marie says Hi Patricia hope this message finds you well. I am disgusted that the government are taking away the training allowance from the most vulnerable people in our society and this is the training allowance for, for people with a disability that we mentioned yesterday. Unfortunately says Marie I fear that this is only the start of these cuts. After Brexit, things will only get worse. I fear for the future because things are going to get worse and not better. And let's keep up the good work. That's from Marie. God, hopefully not Marina. They did say the HSC, who is taking that allowance away, say that they're, they're keeping it within the disability services, but they're putting it into day services. So they're just that they're moving it around. And and I hope that they do. Hope I I I'm saddened to see it been taken away from somebody with a disability. But as long as other people with disabilities are going to benefit them, you know that. Let's hope that that continues and that remains in place. Also, uh, disappointed to read this text in from a listener who is equally disappointed to say, Patricia, I heard you speaking about your weekend in Dinchidani at the weekend, and on hearing you speak about it, we said we'd take a spin yesterday from Skibbereen down to Inchidani to have lunch. When we got there, we were asked if we were residents of the hotel. I said, no, just going to have a spot of lunch. The person said, I'm sorry, it's residents only in the car park. And hearing that, I showed him my husband's disability pass and said he wouldn't be able to walk very far and would only be going to have lunch. So we'd only be there for an hour at the very most. And he still said, no, it was so disappointed and I won't be rushing back there. Ah, 
Uh, saddened to hear that because you would have had a lovely lunch if you if you had popped in. I know at the weekend, um, and certainly any weekend that I've been down in in Shidani, they have a young guy, young worker at the gates of the car park going in uh, because they have to limit the car park spaces. They have to keep them for the residents. They have to keep them for the people who are staying in the apartments at the back. And we are still in the summer season and the hotel uh, is uh, busy. I was surprised to hear on a Monday, I thought it was only something that happened on the busy weekends when there's weddings on, like there was two weddings on at the weekend. But, you know, it is the hotel property. They need to keep the parking spaces in their defence. They'll say they need to keep them for the people who are staying there and the residents in the apartments. But I'm surprised, really surprised to hear that when you were popping in for lunch that you weren't able to get a space. But that's is the one problem with that beautiful beach that is in Shidani and when I was leaving there on Sunday on a glorious sunny Sunday I was leaving about one o'clock and there was not a car park space out on the road heading down you can see people going going around in a circle because it's it's a one way traffic system it's the one downside to wonderful in Shidani beach they, they, they just do not have adequate parking down there for the amount of people that want to visit the beach and I was trying to look around to see what is the solution is there any land available where they could put in a decent size uh, car park and I know people would say it's only in the summer months there's no problem in the winter but certainly on fine sunny days you, you certainly need more parking so uh, yeah uh, there must have been something on at that's all I can say. There must have been something on at the hotel that they needed to keep every available space. But uh, uh, I'm disappointed to hear you're disappointed uh, as well. And Alyssa says, while in Drina, I'm shocked at the speed of vehicles driving through, especially near the closed post office, church and school. In my opinion, some cars and tra- trucks are reaching speeds of 90 kilometres per hour. It's absolutely crazy. A lady told me they'd complained about speed to no avail. If an accident occurs, most likely it'll be at the church entrance as parents use that churchyard when dropping off kids to the adjoining school there. Uh, and then there'll be the blame on the Gardaí and the politicians and it'll be too late then. Have other people noticed the speed through Drina near the closed post offices and near the church and the school. If you're driving through that area, folks, will you please uh, slow it down? uh, And just to find a couple of texts, how come Americans can come here for three months and drive without doing a driving uh, test? Well, that's the same when you come from any other country as well, isn't it? It's to allow you the time to try to regularise. And also, I think the three-month rule is to do with you could be just visiting, you could be just over here, you could be on an extended vacation. You could be staying here on you know holidays for three months. Or you could be just working here for three months. So you would be entitled to drive around on your American driving license. But if you're planning on staying here to live, then you have to transfer over and apply for an Irish driving license. It's the same with most countries, most licenses for most countries. I think you get a year with some with some licenses, don't you? You could drive for for a year before you're forced to if you're swapping it over for an Irish uh, driver's licence. And Paddy says, the 18th of March 1964 was when the driving test came into force in Ireland. Thank you, Paddy. There's a man, a man in the know. 1964 on the 18th of March. I wonder where that date uh, was selected. Thank you for that. 1850 103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council. Supporting businesses, supporting communities, serving Cork. Visit corkcoco.ie. Thing goes on in Chamberlain Moor Community Centre. That's tonight at half past eight with a jackpot of €1,600. A euro. 
Social dancing will be held in the Hibernian Hotel on Thursday night with a country DJ from half eight and then Eddie Lee on stage half nine until 12 midnight. Admission is 10 euro. Bannon Hassock Community Development Association, they've got a fundraising Katie. That'll be in the Marion Hall on Friday night, Friday night dancing from 9.45 and a coffee day to raise funds for baby Kitty O'Leary who's recovering from a liver transplant oh bless her heart in King's Hospital in London that'll be held on this Saturday from 12 noon to 10pm it's in the Lane Bar in Ballinagree and great raffle prizes and the Irish Guide Dogs for the Blind are holding an open day at their headquarters on the Model Farm Road in Cork on Saturday from 12 to 4 admission 5 euro per person 10 euro per family no pets please are there'll be no other and there's also no on-site parking allowed so it's shuttle buses will run every 15 minutes from CIT. C103 and Cork Volunteer Centre presents the very first Cork Volunteer Awards taking place Friday, October 11th. These awards aim to celebrate and recognise remarkable people throughout Cork who selflessly give their time and talent to benefit local communities. Visit volunteercork.ie now and shine a light on your volunteers by nominating them for an award. The Cork Volunteer Awards 2019 at the Kingsley Hotel with Cork Volunteer Centre, Cork Independent and Cork's Greatest Hits, C103. Now, over the last couple of weeks, we've heard from different parents who are having problems accessing concessionary tickets on the school bus and one group of parents we heard from were in the Ballyduff area and Siobhan, one of the mums, joins me today, which I'm delighted to say with a bit of good news. Good afternoon to you, Siobhan. Hi, Patricia. Uh, Thanks again. Uh, now, just <laughs> remind us, it was a, it's 11 students affected in, in your area. Yes, it was 11 students, which would have been seven families, had no tickets for to go to the secondary school in Formoy. You had you had received concessionary tickets in previous years? We have done. We have some pupils that were entering fifth year, so my own son would have been in junior cert, so they've all had, well, six of them would have had previous tickets and other children would have had siblings started. And suddenly out of the blue, you get contacted by Bus Aaron and told what? Yeah, that's the concessionary transport system. A concessionary transport cannot be guaranteed for the duration of the school cycle according to their rules. So basically, you can pay your €350 when you apply, but it all depends on the spare seats they have on the bus, which is dictated to by the number of eligible children. Okay, and in your case, wasn't there a problem with they felt your your children were going to the wrong school? Well, in our case, they were saying that we were concessionary because our eligible school, our closest school, would have been in Lismore rather than Formoy. Now, that makes no sense to us because there's only about a five, six minute drive of a difference. And most of these parents have been to school themselves in Formoy. So we, we just didn't accept that. Uh, we believe children should have a choice. And Absolutely, that's, that's, and it that's was, according he, to the minister himself, you were so. one. You, you were one of the groups that, that I felt like at one. At, at, when does Bus Air and other school transport system decide they're the ones who know the best school for a child? I mean, it just it made absolutely no sense to me. Yeah, I mean, there's many different reasons that children pick different schools, and I guess you know they've made their decisions on speaking to teachers and speaking to family and where their friends go. And you can't be dictative. No. I mean, such a big upset for just a small difference in in mileage. Just there's no common sense. It's 
just tick the box criteria system in place since I believe 1968 and there's, there's nobody talking there's no departments talking to each other and there's nobody talking to the people on the ground so I mean the funding was badly needed but we don't know are we in this fight again next year I know but I, we, but I, we, we better get to the good news the good news is you, but, you, yeah. you launched a campaign anyway you've done really well to highlight it so well done we, teaching yeah, every one of you we've had but huge support you've been successful we have been successful. All 11 children in our situation have gotten tickets this year for the bus. We'll fight next year when it comes to it, but this year we're all celebrating. We're delighted and we're very grateful to Mary Butler, Kevin O'Keefe, Councillor John Pratt, James Tobin, Tim, Tim Lombard, Sean Sherlock. It's endless. We have had huge support from yourselves for giving us the airtime. Emily Ahern in the Avenue, we've had huge support. But the parents themselves have put in endless hours unnecessary at this time of year absolutely it's just crazy to think and back to school is it this week do they they go back this week yeah we've had some of them start to school um, depending on the years today so we don't know yet we were only told we've been successful we made plans for this for this week because we have no idea of we didn't know our outcome so we had to be prepared so we have plans in place for this week most of them are all starting back on Thursday so hopefully we'll have more what news you, and details on Thursday But you don't know at this stage if this is going to be every year until your children leave school? Not at all not at all and we, we can't just lie down quietly now we have to make sure that they look into this system and they change this system because it has taken over our lives for the last two weeks and it just it makes no sense and to be honest we're one of the lucky ones. There's many, many, many more. Yeah. My heart goes out to Maura, the other lady that you would have been speaking to on yeah. the same day in Oregon. They're still fighting their case for three children. They I, really need to get that. Yeah, I think I think nationwide it's it's ran to about six thousand children nationwide. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's it's this year. I mean, it comes up every year. We do it every year, but it this does. year it was worse. That we way more cases this year than we've had in any previous years. Oh, most definitely. And it's only going to get worse. Their projections, they have done their proposals themselves. They know the figures in January from the schools. They know the figures when you have to apply for the tickets in April. It's all paid for in June. Why announce it two weeks before the kids are due back to school where so many people are on holidays? You know, it's very clever when you think about it because they feel then that you can't, you don't have the time to fight and you're just going to have to put the system in place. Yeah, and but it's not like, it's, it's not, not like these children suddenly appear out of nowhere. They know they're in the system. They know they're That's going to it. need to get to school. It just, it doesn't, and I know one of the other parents, one of the other groups, there's been so many different groups we've spoken to, they had an issue because their sons and daughters did transition year and it looked like when they were trying to get into leaving cert, yeah. the computer says they've left school last year. They didn't. They'd done transition yeah. year. Just mad, utter madness. Well, listen, well done. <laughs> well done. Oh, where, where, we're where we're you're, very thankful. Common sense of prevailing. Yeah, and were your children aware, you're, they're all teenagers, they're all in secondary school, were they aware oh. of what was going on or... Oh, they were they were very well aware, and I think they knew by our determination that we weren't going to go down quietly. So they kind of had faith in us, I believe, and they're delighted now. I suppose they would have felt guilty looking at all the the hassle that would have been done. I mean, you do whatever you can, and we would have supported each other 
but there's only so much you can do. They see your exhaustion at the end of the day and you don't want them to be sick, feeling guilty over that. No, absolutely. Okay, well, well done to each and every one of you. You're a great bunch of parents. Uh, your thank kids you. can be very proud of you. And thank you for joining thank us you. on the programme, Siobhan. And thanks uh, for your support. Thanks our pleasure. Thanks for that, uh, Siobhan. One of the mums from Ballyduff on behalf of all of the other mo- uh, other parents who put in a great fight there. 1850 They're one of the lucky ones in Ballyduff. All 11 have secured their seats on the secondary school bus, but unfortunately it's not the same across the rest of the, the county, which is really, really unfortunate. And thank you to Councillor Ian Doyle, who was listening to the piece we did on Spike Island and one of our listeners who rang in who's got walking mobility issues was wondering would Spike Island be suitable? Ian was on to say the Charleville Senior Citizens uh, organised a group to go to Spike Island just last week and he said they couldn't have been more helpful. They had a courtesy bus waiting. So it is suitable for people who might have slight mobility uh, issues. If you're not able to walk, just let them know in advance but they had a courtesy bus uh, ready. That's the kind of bunch they are on Spike Island. They'll just go out of their way to make everybody feel welcome. OK, going to take a break and we're back chatting with Joe Heffernan. Laura Gelga, RC 103. Gokshans, <laughs> Kashi Kerblin Dag in a coney, a mal, Agus Martian, for she blosker cake erquid kinta. Husig sheig ashturk lenaskull, kloshta dovit, a glockerona biogabidica in Rami. We are he chilskanani yen of Erlina, General Linda, Saklar, young offenders, dear Kusilana defor, Shivan. Runishi Rinka Gwelak, Mogiak to Agus Pelfreshener Rishini Soiga. Fuelaher. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The Bluer Guelga is Mission Mali Nigul, O Guelscot Mastavish Mala. CKD Asa 3 Kirkig.
This is the Cork Today replay on C103. And Joe Heffernan joins us on this Tuesday afternoon. Good afternoon to you, Joe. Good afternoon, Patricia. And we're, we're picking up on our chat that we started last week where we, where we were talking about um, anxiety and it ties in with a, a piece that's been released today on a study that was compiled by the Union of Students in Ireland along with the HSC's uh, Mental Health and the National Office for Suicide Prevention showing that up to two in five third level students are suffering severe levels of anxiety and many more feel depressed or stressed uh, according to this new uh, survey. That's, I'm still blown away by that. Two in five. So, I mean, that's two-fifths of all students. 38%. That's incredible. You're you're heading on there like far, you know, uh, it's it's a huge percentage. 38%. It's it's amazing. But... mm, not so amazing, understandable. Um, there were three thousand third level students interviewed, and um, this was what came of it. Um, you worked in that sector, working yeah. working with those young people. Is is this a new phenomena, or was it always there? And it's just that we've got better awareness of it today. I think there's a better awareness of it today, and there's a clearer picture. I mean, for example, that 38% would not have been realised. We kind of dealt with who came along uh, rather than kind of measuring. Uh, I I think it's a useful and significant study. Um, The big thing when I was working in UCC as a student counsellor with uh, Paul, who was in charge, the, the big thing was to try and cut down or not have waiting lists. Whereas uh, this uh, survey, um, I was a bit shocked. Um, uh, no, I'm not including UCC in this because uh, I, there aren't any uh, college breakdowns. No, uh, no. But uh, that um, uh, on-campus counselling session, um, uh, waiting lists of up to seven weeks. Now, when I was working in the sector, uh, I can say with certainty we never had a waiting, uh, uh, a student waiting seven weeks to see someone. Um, and it was one of the big um, ambitions of the service was uh, to to keep waiting lists either very short or, or, or not there at all. Now, that's some years ago, and I don't know the present situation, but of course, the uh, the student population is growing all the time. I think there are, uh, this is now, I stand open to correction, but about 17,000 students in UCC. Um, so, you know, if you, uh, I, I haven't done the maths, but if you work out 38% of 17,000, you're dealing with an awful lot of people. And of course, the reasons for it are, well, first of all, I mean, obviously when one is studying and hoping to go into second year from first year, second year to third year to fourth year to get one's degree, um, that's a stress in itself. But now you have added in um, the the crazy accommodation um, stampede uh, every August. Um, you have the enormous costs of accommodation. Um you know, so um, I, I well, there's no question about it. Students now are um, are under greater stress uh, than they were, and there's very few students now uh, have the luxury of just uh, studying for their exams. 
there are part-time jobs, weekend jobs, um, even to the point of missing lectures. Uh, I remember speaking with one girl several years ago in UCC, and uh, she was holding down um, a job in the pub in the evenings, and the weekends was uh, uh, a retail store. Um, you know, and uh, I, I remember saying to her at the time, or asking her at the time, was there any chance that she could cut down a bit on either? And she was saying that basically no. It paid it, the bills. Uh, and I know there was a report out last week, I think it was coincided with the first round CAO offers. Uh, there was a report, I read it in the paper, that where they were saying, you know, there was the high number, high percentage of students who were missing lectures because of work. They weren't missing lectures because they were staying in bed and having a, you know, a lie in morning. They literally had to take time out from their studies just to work in order to get money to Absolutely. pay the bills. That's so exactly so that's, no. that in itself brings on pressure. Of course it does. I mean, and there's guilt kind of, um, oh God, I missed my lecture um, this afternoon, but I had a choice between maybe losing the job are going in and doing the few hours um and uh, all of that like is um uh, is a driver of anxiety without a doubt um uh, yeah and like what i was hoping we might do today would be to kind of uh, to to sort of explain what's happening with um when when anxiety hits okay you know that um uh, that it would be very reassuring for a person to be able to acknowledge, no, this is what's happening in my brain and body. Um, so that all of these um, uh, thoughts and feelings, uh, there's an explanation for them. Um, and, and basically, it's, <laughs> it's all coming from a sort of kindness. It's coming from your... A protective uh, part of the brain, the uh, as we mentioned last week, the amygdala, and it's there to protect you. It's it's um, it's brilliant, but it's a bit daft in the sense that it's thoughtless. It just says danger here. Uh, must send oxygen. Uh, to the the arms and the legs for flight or for fight, and so it senses danger. The amygdala does, and uh, it, so it starts all this flight or fight um, messages to the body. It sends adrenaline, oxygen to the legs to help you flee, uh, and to the hands to help you fight. It prepares the body um, for flight or fight. But the thing about it is that it doesn't differentiate in any way between uh, what it perceives to be dangers. Um, Like, uh, I was at a a workshop given by Dr. Harry Barry. Um, One of the books I have that he wrote would be Flagging the Depression, and he has quite a a good few um, very good books and also... Uh, his workshop that day it was in the Rochestown Park Hotel it was very very good and he referred to the amygdala as the gunslinger shoot first and ask questions after oh it's a good analogy to use yeah and that's exactly what it is yeah it senses danger 
it wants to protect you and it sends out all the uh, defense mechanisms as it sees it. Um, but the only trouble is it doesn't differentiate um, between, as I say, uh, um, uh, going to talk with a group of friends, which a person might uh, feel is a little bit challenging, or um, a bull charging at you in in a field. So that, like, um, all it sees, all it all it acknowledges is danger here. Off it goes. It's the doing part of the brain. Uh, it 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 um it controls, if that's the right word, the um the doing part as against rather the thinking than the part. thinking part. Yeah. yeah. So okay. it doesn't do much thinking. It just uh, it just gets going, and um and and when it does, it's protecting then. Uh, it causes thoughts, feelings, and physical um, uh, effects, um, and and sometimes consequent behaviours. Um, but it thinks it's helping you, and if you can kind of get that message through uh, to oneself, um, that can help. It can be, oh yeah, okay, this is what's going on now. Um, my brain has sensed danger. So the amygdala is sending out these kind of messages. Now, the thoughts would be like, um, uh, what will they think? What if I make a fool of myself with the group now I'm talking about? Mm. I look a right idiot. Oh, I can't cope with this. Now, the feelings then would be fear, panic. Uh, feelings of being out of control. And this is where emotion rules, that it's like it's E over I, emotion over intellect instead of intellect over emotion. And I kind of joke with that, that like it says that it'd be like I've lost the head. So uh, to just thinking of these things can be, I think, helpful big time um, in, in that kind of an attack. The physical bits would be the sick tummy, the heart beating faster. Um uh, you, you see, um, uh, the the amygdala is sending oxygen to the hands and the legs. Therefore, there's a shortage in the breathing. Hence, you can feel that um, uh, that uh, that you're choking, uh, not getting enough air. I can't breathe. And, but that's actually what's going on, is that the amygdala is sending the oxygen to where it thinks you need it right now um, to save yourself, and um, therefore there's a shortage of it in, in the area that it usually is. Um, so that's where your breathing and concentrating on your breathing comes into it. Yeah, yeah, and 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 and, and the shortness of breath, as we'll call it. Um and the the brain is telling you like to conserve energy um so as that um that you will be able to deal with the flight or 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 fight um so then the the oxygen then builds up in the body and therefore um uh, there are changes that cause you to feel maybe a bit dizzy or a bit confused so that's where that's coming from um, the change in the direction of the oxygen in your body. Um, uh, so, and, and the heart feels like it's beating out of your chest. Um, so, the, the, once you kind of understand, 
and 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 once you're able to kind of say ah, I know what's going on um well then you're uh, you know the possibility of calming I think is is much better um uh, what do they say a knowledge is powerful knowledge mm-hmm. is power so um uh, other things that can happen like would be the the sick tummy uh, the the hand shaking, as I say, the lightheadedness. Now, the behaviours that go with that then can be, they can vary. They can just be a withdrawal. Um, uh, I can't do this. I can't stand it. I'm not going into the exam hall or I'm not going to join my friends or I'm not going to go to that party or uh, whatever. And, of course, it can become... Uh, very counterproductive with, we'll say, picking at skin, um, uh, pulling hair. We talked about trichotillomania before, uh, nail biting. And in, in OCD, it can be rituals. Uh, Washing hands yeah, is the, is the yeah, one. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then people just avoiding situations. And it can and has, in, in some cases, we could tell somebody's life, it can lead to agoraphobia, where you just won't leave your house absolutely and what it really boils down to is a fear of the feeling it's not even though the intellect can tell you there is no danger um the 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 danger in inverted commas is the feelings uh of fear the feelings of panic uh the the physical sensations and the person more certainly doesn't want those so the answer would be uh, don't avoid anything that might bring that on. So that, like, uh, it's it's a whole lot of no thinking. The amygdala is going crazy, telling you you're in danger, danger, danger. Um, the amygdala is sending all these messages to different parts of the body, uh, preparing you to fight. Thinking that it's helping you? Absolutely. It's it's a loving, protective um Part of the brain. Uh, part of the brain. So, so your thing is 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 to is to talk to that part of your brain almost. Absolutely, absolutely. You couldn't put it better. Is like to kind of train the amygdala to kind of maybe calm down a bit, or you know, take it easy. Um, there is no danger. Um, uh, and if you can train the amygdala to to react um, uh, in a, in a, in a less dramatic way. Um, and intellectually bring in the part of the thinking part of the brain. Now, you might very well welcome the amygdala when there's real danger. Um, I mean, if you're being physically attacked or something like that, well, then the old amygdala is your big friend, and um, you will have the extra oxygen to the feet and uh, to the legs and the arms, and you will be ready to fight or, f- or f- fight or flight. Um, and that's great, but... When there is no danger, um, you know, the amygdala needs to be kind of told in somewhere or another to, to cool it, to calm down a small bit. It's like an overprotective parent. Um, you know, it, it, it's, 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 um, it's kind of there's a jungle out there and there's danger, danger, danger. And, uh, and it's, um, it's backing off all these um, physical emotions when, in fact, there is no real danger. So I think myself like that understanding all of that 
is sort of reassuring because instead of I don't know in the name of God what's going on when these things come at me, when the panic attack comes, when the anxiety levels rise. I, I, I think it's very reassuring to be able to say, ah, here goes the amygdala. Um, absolutely, absolutely. And to end on a positive, you can recover from the from anxiety. Oh, absolutely. And another thing that we need to recognise is that very is, uh, 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 people who suffer from anxiety are not weak people. Very, very strong and able people can have anxiety. I was amazed one time. There was a guy who was in charge of um, all the kind of psychological um, uh, scenario in, in a leading university, and I was chatting with him. And I just happened to tell him that recently I had been talking to a student who had uh, panic attacks, or high anxiety. And he said, oh, yeah, I've, I've had those for years. And I was kind of looking at him because I thought, well... Um, he would be the last person you would expect you to have. That can yeah. happen to anyone. Yeah. Okay. And he wasn't a bit ashamed of it. Well done, well done. Yeah. And listen, that's what we need. We'll talk again next week. In the meantime, thank you for that. Yeah, and, and next uh, week we might have a look at, like, what can we do with all these thoughts, feelings, etc., etc. Absolutely, look forward to it. Thank you for okay. that, Joe. Have a good week. That's Thank Joe Heffernan. He runs a counselling practice in Bohibui. His number is 029-76617. And that's where I wrap it up for today. John, just a final text. Says, What's the difference between a person having two provisional licences and a person having got a licence from the free amnesty in 1979? Surely they're the same depart- the departments. Uh, they, there doesn't seem to be any standards could that not be open to a legal challenge says uh, John I'm sure somebody if there was a legal challenge they would have thought about it before thank you for that okay that's where I leave you thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon I'll be back with you tomorrow morning at 10 until then Patricia Messenger Selling a little or a lot Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work, shopify.com slash work.